Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Full of Pride edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm the assignment editor of the Journal and I host of the show. And it is the morning of Friday, March 13th. I feel like I need to say that it's the morning, especially when the legislature's in session. Especially when it's Friday the 13th. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> yikes. I'm joined in the newsroom studio, as you just heard, by our city columnist, Paula Simons. Good morning, Sarah. And the reporting duo of Karen Cleese and Miriam Ibrahim. Good morning. The legislature's back in session, and there is so much going on that the assignment editor in me is rather terrified of having both of our Alberta politics reporters in the newsroom at the same time. But I'm rolling the <laughs> dice, and I'm I'm going to hope that nothing happens in the next 20 minutes or so, so we can talk about the future of gay-straight alliances in Alberta schools, the latest batch of Auditor General reports, and a few of the other developments in the past week, including the overall tone of the first week back in session. So here's my first question. If last week was such a bad week for Premier Jim Prentice and the PCs, and it was after Prentice's uh, remarks that Albertans should look in the mirror, what made this week such a good week for them? Well, they definitely gave themselves a lot of good news right off the bat with the first day of session. Uh, obviously, going into the first day of session, everyone was really worried about, uh, everyone was really talking about uh, what the Wild Rose defectors were going to look like, you know, sitting among all of their former foes. Uh, where, where were they going to be sitting? There was a lot of attention on the seating chart, and there was a lot of attention on, you know, where was Daniel Smith going to be seated? And, and uh that all really got eclipsed pretty quickly uh, once we heard that uh, Education Minister Gordon Dirks was going to be delivering a, uh, a ministerial statement on GSAs, uh, of course, because everyone for months and months has been hounding the government mm-hmm. about what it was going to do about this issue after it put Bill 10 on hold last uh, last session. Uh, and then, of course, we saw an amendment tabled to Bill 10 and uh, basically uh, an amendment that said every student in every school, Catholic, uh, public, you know, private charter would have the right to have a gay straight alliance on school property if they so choose by that name. Uh, and that really, I think, took a lot of people by surprise on the on the first day of session and really uh, set the tone for that day for sure. No, and I have to say it was a remarkable in, in my time at the legislature. I don't know that I've ever seen the Tories so powerfully seize the agenda on the first day of the session. Um, it was astonishing. Everything got, else got knocked out of the paper. Um, they completely dominated the TV news, the, the newspaper. Um, they had support from across the aisle. It was all but unanimous in the House. Um, really positive feedback on social media. Uh, it was a really remarkable PR move for yeah. the Tories. You know, I don't want to be contrary here. And maybe Paula Simons be contrary. I wasn't in the legislature when it happened. I was, you know, I was in the newsroom covering a different story and watching it all unfold on Twitter. I had a very different read on things. I mean, to me, I don't see that it's seizing the agenda to look like a bunch of hypocrites. These are the same people who spent all of November and December arguing that the sky would fall if gay high school students had the chance to hang out together in in a school classroom, that somehow this would violate the Constitution, it would violate the autonomy of Catholic school boards, it would fly in the face of parental rights. And here they were, having vehemently argued this, the same MLAs, the same minister, the same premier turning around (laughs) and pretending like this was all, you know, they gave due credit to Lori Blakeman in the House. She was the liberal, of course, from Edmonton Centre who fought so hard for this. But to me, I didn't, 
I, I just well, you know I, did, I you didn't go. I didn't see a lot of people going yay Gordon Dirks. Really? I saw no I saw a lot of people going seriously and especially when it now turns out that the Catholic school trustees are demonstrating their very own unique reading of Bill 10 which is that they don't have to do anything that it says. Miriam well, should talk about that. Yeah and we can talk I just want to say I actually I, I'm going to be contrary to Paula Simons I'm feeling a little scared about doing this but <laughs> I, now that you're my boss I give you more latitude. <laughs> I actually felt tremendous relief and I'm going to say a little bit of pride that a government that had taken a, the wrong, what I felt was the wrong direction on this issue, clearly the wrong direction, admitted that they were wrong, that they had gone out and listened to people. And for whatever reason, I don't care if it was politically motivated, but, but they actually did the right thing. And I, when I was listening to his statement, it seemed pretty heartfelt. I I was at the, at the moment, in that moment, I was pretty darn proud that our government was doing the right thing. Well, well and I, I think yeah. certainly last last session when Bill 10 was initially introduced, and I think all of us will remember there was this one uh, evening in particular where the debate really dragged on into the night, and it was uh, pretty nasty. I think the government really, really uh, underestimated the backlash that they would face, right? Like, we can't discredit the fact that it wasn't just, you know, uh, opposition politicians who were saying that they were doing the wrong thing here. There were Albertans of all flavors saying this. You know, there were youth. There was city councils that came out, including the Edmonton City Council. We saw Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We saw a Calgary Stampeder, John Cornish. We saw Rick Mercer speak out about this. It was coming from all corners, and I don't think that they had anticipated that it was going to resonate with so many people, not just in Alberta, but across the country. I think credit has to be given, too, to a lot of very young Albertans who came out and told their personal stories. And I did think that in that moment, I didn't think it was just craven politics. I mean, I do think it was craven politics but on, on the part of the Prentice machine. But, I mean, I really do think that, that Dirks had a, had a road to Damascus moment. And I, I have to say that, you know, there was a time when if you were a gay teen in Alberta, you did not go on television or the radio or give interviews to Paula Simons of the Edmonton Journal to talk about that. And I think that credit has to go to a lot of very brave 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds who stood up and said, this is about me and this is about my friends. And this is something that, you know, it's the 21st century you know, people have to catch up with us. You know, I think, sorry, I just want to jump in. I, I absolutely agree with Paula that the kids need to get tons of credit. Both the premier and the education minister said that. I do think we also need to understand that this was craven politics. Yes. I'm given to understand that, I mean, I, I think it was fairly clear that the polls would have come back remarkably in favor of GSAs. And I'm given to understand that uh, the discussions behind closed doors essentially boiled down to... Um, let's let the Catholic school boards be the bad guys here, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what the Prentice government has done here is they have said, uh, we are going to pass a law that makes GSAs mandatory. If somebody wants to fight that, they can be the bad guys. They can be the guys who get who who um, who, who who feel the wrath of Albertans who by and large support gay and lesbian LGBTQ folks and want them to have GSAs in Alberta schools. And let's not forget we have an election more than likely coming <laughs> right. up pretty mm -hmm. soon. And uh, this would have been an election issue 
for sure, right? It was one and, of the, it know, was one of the few things that opposition parties could really hang their hats on and say, look, this this is one way that your government is not representing what you want. So, so does yes. this end the politics around no. GSAs? Oh <laughs> no, 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 no. Because Karen is quite correct. This is gonna make the Catholic boards the bad guys. Individual boards are refusing to comment. They're putting everything through Tony Sikora, who speaks for the Alberta Catholic School Trustees Association. He's from Elk Island Catholic. Uh, and I actually feel sorry for him because I think he's a relatively decent human being, but he's been put out there to say things like, well, we can only have GSAs if we notify all the parents. But think about the logic <laughs> of this, right? The idea is to provide a safe haven for kids who need to come out in a safe and non-judgmental place. For Catholic kids from strict Catholic families, if you're going to say the only way you can join a GSA, whether you're gay or a, a straight gay ally, you have to get a, you know, a, a permission note from your mom. That that flies in the face of what the GSA is all about. The Catholic School Trustees Association has also been very coy about the idea of whether or not you can call them GSAs. And of course, the language of Bill 10 is very clear. I mean, it specifically says, not an anti-bullying club, not an Amistad club, it gets to be called a gay-straight alliance. And I think the Catholic School Trustees Association is very keen to wiggle around. Can you be keen to wiggle? They're keen to <laughs> wiggle around that. I mean, Mariam yeah. can speak what more to this. What are the teachers saying about this, Mariam? Because obviously the, the teachers will be right in the middle of all of this. Well, the uh, uh, yesterday, quite late in the afternoon, actually, the Alberta Teachers Association put out a statement saying, you know, we need actually some more clarity because as Paula said, they're, they're, all of this is stemming from this, this policy document that the Catholic uh, school board's superintendents drafted in anticipation of the amendments to Bill 10. In fact, that was quite explicitly said. Um, and, and this document, it, it, it basically has all the rules set out for how a student group can come to life and, and what, you know, what, what it can do and, and where it can meet and how it can meet and all of those sorts of things and what it can be called. And, you know, the name of it has to fall in line with Catholic uh, yeah, teachings and that sort of thing. And, and, and Paul is right. There is a part in there that says, we will notify parents if one of the clubs will deal with discussions about sexual orientation, which many people have pointed out, you know, if, if a, as Paula said, if a GSA is meant to provide a safe haven, uh, why would a student want to join it if they're worried about being outed to maybe their family who isn't very supported, right? That, that supportive, that's a really important piece of this. And so as a result of this, a lot of people are confused about how this is going to play out. And it very much is a little bit of a wait and see game. But the, the ATA have put out a statement yesterday saying we need some clarity. And, and not only do we we need clarity. We need orders, you know, either regulations or ministerial orders that say no school can disclose to a parent or anyone else, for that matter, a student's involvement in a gay straight alliance without that student's prior explicit consent. And so, so they're they're really wanting to to seek to sort of clarify and make sure that everyone is going to be following the law the same way. Because when I was interviewing uh, the Catholic School Board uh, about this issue, I was told simply and 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 no nothing more that they will comply with the legislation. But when I asked, well, how do you interpret the legislation? I got no answers. Uh, and so for a lot of people, that raises a lot of questions. It opens up a real can of worms because what does that mean? And, you know, and the whole point of this bill was supposed to sort of take the burden off students because if everyone will remember to back in, in the last session, one of the one of the major issues and one of the major points in the bill that really sparked an outcry was the fact that it said students could go to court 
go that's talk a, to the minister to to <laughs> if, if you weren't allowed to have a, a, a GSA on campus. And so what the new Bill 10 has done is really reverse the onus and said, no, students, that's not what students have to do. They have the right to have a GSA. But now, you know, people are really concerned. Are students still going to have to fight? Are they going to be pressured by their school principal to not name their club a gay-straight alliance? Are they going to sort of have the specter of, you know, this this uh, parental notification hung over their head, you know, and, and said, well, why don't you just pick a different club name and then we won't have to tell your parents about it at all? You know, and so uh, that's what a lot of people are concerned about. And of course, it's only been a few days. Um, and as Lori Blakeman said the other day in the House, this is something that we're going to have to, to watch very carefully. You know, it's not a matter of just passing a law. Uh, passing laws, you know, is important because it gives people recourse, but it doesn't change culture. It doesn't change the conversation on the ground and it doesn't it doesn't automatically hand out resources to people who need them, you know, at the school level. It doesn't educate staff about what a GSA is and and that sort of thing. So, you know, the the real work uh, starts now, I think. We're going to wrap up that topic there. If the turnabout on gay-straight alliances was a win for the government, which I think it was this week, how did they fare with the latest series of reports from the Auditor General? Let's jump right into that. Well, some Ooh. people really uh, went to, to on Twitter to point out right away, hey, maybe this is why the AG's uh, budget got cut, because <laughs> some of it was pretty scathing. But I'll let, I'll let Karen uh, start, start us there, off. There were a lot of different topics in there. What were some of the highlights for you in terms of interest? Well, our front page story definitely had to do with dams and flood mitigation. Um, the, the summary there is that, uh, is that the government is not properly inspecting dams. And the Auditor General said very clearly that, the, that he that the government cannot demonstrate to Albertans that they are adequately inspecting dams. And of course, we know uh, from history that the second largest spill in Canadian history at the Obed mine here in Alberta um, was that dam was never inspected by the provincial government. So that was a huge story, very bad for the government. But closer to home, uh, and the story that I wrote, and I think Paula has some thoughts on this as well, is the Northland School Division, which goes back, as you know, as a former education reporter, decades. Um, this is a school division in northern Alberta. It's a, it, it encompasses a vast swath of northern Alberta and uh, there are 2,700 students uh, at 24 different schools 95% of whom are aboriginal which makes it a very unique school district. Yeah, it was created specifically for uh, Métis communities across yeah, the province. we call that apartheid. Right. Well they, they did it for a host of reasons <laughs> historically and so what was the specifics of the AG's report? So the AG's report focused very very narrowly on uh, attendance but attendance in that district is horrific. Uh, one in three of the kids who are registered to attend school there are chronically absent and of course that has dramatic effects for their test scores and other uh, other things that education teaches us um, and uh, and so yeah I mean, it was a scathing report basically the government a couple of years ago in 2010 uh, Dave Hancock you might remember uh, uh, dismissed the entire 23 member school board took over as the province uh, there were a couple of reports a couple of investigations etc but what the auditor general said very clearly in that report is that nothing was ever done. And uh, I'll let Paula take it from Well, there. I think it's so important, you know, because oftentimes we think of the Auditor General, you know, when he did his report about Alison Redford in the Plains, we see it as very political. But I think it's really important to remember that a lot of what he does is very important public policy analysis. I mean, dams are not sexy, but if mm. you don't maintain and inspect the dams, that's a very bad thing. I mean, and the fact that, that you need an Auditor General whose budget has just been cut to tell you that you ought to inspect the dams is a bit problematic. The Northland School Division, though, you know, that it is a problem that an audit an audit can remind us, but it cannot fix. Right. Uh, the problem with the Northland School Division, um, and I made a snarky comment about apartheid a minute ago, but I, I stand by it. The Northland School Division was begun 
with the best of intentions, the idea was that they would take communities that were in other school divisions and they would take all the Aboriginal, the Métis settlement communities together and make them one school division. It's been a disastrous public policy because it means that you've got poor schools near communities that have rich schools, but the rich school is part of a different other public school division. So you've put all of the weakest and most high need schools together in one division. There's no geographic logic to it because it sprawls all over everything. I think it is long past time to say that this is an experiment in separate but equal education, which has completely and totally failed, and to say that it makes much more sense to align those schools with their closest nearby public or Catholic school division. But nobody seems willing to recognize the idea that creating an all-Aboriginal school division, you know, the idea being that all those kids would have so much in common, has been a horrific public policy well, error. I'm not... I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that that is what the communities feel to be the case. And perhaps once you were right about saying that the poorest schools being put together, but now everyone gets the same education funding. So I don't know if you can say poor schools versus other schools. I don't, don't think but, you can argue the finances of it well, that it, way. But it's not the core funding. It's, you know, you know, the parents doing the fundraising. It's the other kinds of resources. Because in a, in a larger, more concentrated school division, you have more access to things like speech pathologists and mm-hmm. reading recovery specialists. Well, I mean, it's di- it, it is difficult because a lot of these schools are very geographically isolated and not all of them are are geographically aligned with a larger school division. But I think it is clear that the way we are delivering education to those most at-risk communities is not working. We talked a lot about GSAs at the beginning of this, but we're talking about kids who are the most marginalized, who need the most supports, and they need to be affiliated with boards that have those supports in place. And it's nice to argue that it's it, this was about preserving culture and this was about giving autonomy to Aboriginal communities. But to me, that's setting people up to fail. I mean, you can't say, well, fine, you guys go have your own school division, but we're not going to give you the kind of supports that other kids and other schools take for granted. And I think, I think too, if I can just add to Paula's point, and I don't, I don't know where I stand on what you just said about breaking up a school board, but I will say this, that in the Auditor General's report and in my discussions with the superintendent of that division, I heard some really heartbreaking stories. So that, you know, I've never, I don't think, seen the Auditor General uh, give a report that is so, he was very passionate about it. I mean, Marwan Sahar, for anybody who's ever invest, or interviewed him, is very, he's a very straight-laced dude. You know, it's hard to get <laughs> him to uh, to pontificate about something or to lay out a big hot quote for the beginning of a story. I know, and that's why when he does it, such news. <laughs> I know, right? So, but when it when I interviewed him on this story, uh, he was extremely passionate about it. He he included in that story or in that report a, a really powerful vignette about the vin- the, the school in Gift Lake, where um, the the school was rife with mold. They'd had uh, the, the entire teacher body had had turned over in one year, and uh, eleven students had died within the student body over the the recent period. And uh, and you know, so you include that kind of powerful stuff in a, in an audit, and it really brings home how different these schools are from the schools that many Albertans are familiar with. Um, the other thing I'll say is that uh, is that Miss Barrett that I spoke with, the uh, the superintendent, told me that teachers in this jurisdiction, you know, do things like bring home laundry for kids because some families are not able to provide clean clothes for their kids and so they are not uh, attending school because they know that their, their 
clothes are not clean. Um, they will uh, go to the grocery store on the weekend and make food for the kids to entice them to come to school because they know that they're not getting breakfast at home. So if they get breakfast at school, then they'll come. Um, last but not least, you know, young women uh, who have babies, you know, 14, 15, these teachers, uh, without any proper supports, will just welcome these young girls in with their infants into a regular classroom. If you can imagine the, the upheaval and disruption that that causes. So, you know, I think it's important to recognize that these are not the schools that most Albertans are familiar with. They're very, very different. I think we could spend an entire episode about yeah. this. And I think maybe we should. I think there's a lot to talk about about yeah. the Northland School Sorry. Division because I know that uh, I was the education reporter when Dave Hancock disbanded that school division. And attendance has been the reason, at one of the reasons, for every decision that has been made over the years from creating the board to dissolving the board to the Auditor General's report. There's so much to talk about. Miriam, I want to talk about the overall first week. Let's move to those, what that was like. I know that on Monday I was very excited and did get you to write about the seating chart in the legislature. What else has been going on in the in the first few days? Let's have a couple maybe highlights from each of you about the other news of the week. Uh, well, yesterday, for example, uh, the Wild Rose House Leader, Shane Sasku, announced that he wasn't going to be running again. That wasn't really a surprise because he hasn't filed his nomination papers and for months we've been asking him if he was going to be running again or not. Finally, he came out with it yesterday that he isn't going to be running again. Uh, you know, so, so we are seeing sort of the makeup of the legislature shift and change. Saskia said he was really disillusioned and um, that the defections had a lot to do with it. Um, so so I thought that was pretty interesting as well. It was an interesting first week back. It wasn't a uh, raucous question period uh, on any particular day. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we've seen a um, opposition, official opposition that was really neutralized with all of the defections last year. It's it's quite different to, to watch, you know, Daniel Smith thumping her desk along with the Tories. Arf, uh, arf. As, as, as Karen wrote this week, singing from the Tory songbook. Uh, I think it's also clear we're I mean, not that we needed any more signals that we're in ramp up to election mode but gifties falleth like the gentle rain from heaven <laughs> there shall now be sprinklers in the homes of our you know in in seniors residences uh there shall be money for renovating uh hospital emergency rooms there shall be money for special transitional beds to get seniors you know from acute care um into their back into their own homes and apparently my favorite announcement of the week was the announcement that various schools are under construction all across Alberta. As the Wildrose <laughs> pointed out snarkily, you know, one of the Wildrose folks went and took photographs of all the construction sites in Edmonton, uh, where sometimes there's a stake in the ground, sometimes there's a porta potty set up, but taint no construction. <laughs> you know, my husband's a land surveyor. That's always the beginning of construction, putting the pegs in the ground, yes. right? It's an yeah. important first step. <laughs> steps. Yeah. And Karen, you've been writing about something very interesting happening on the nomination side of things for the progressive conservatives. Can you give us a can you concisely summarize that? Sure. Actually, know. I'm going to start with something different. I've got two things to say about okay. what's interesting this week. The first thing I'll say is that we had a, a really interesting story on the front page of the paper earlier this week about uh, government uh, not reporting the death of a, of a six-month-old baby. Um, this was a, a two-month delay in the government learning about the death of a child who was ostensibly in the care of the province. Um, this says some really remarkable things about the kind of uh, oversight that's happening uh, on the front lines. Uh, very disturbing. It got a lot of uh, traffic on our website and um, I think it merits mentioning. Um, yesterday, the story that was breaking and one that I think is going to haunt the Tories for a couple of days unless they deal with it directly is the fact that Naresh Bardwaj, the MLA, the sitting MLA, Tory MLA for Edmonton Ellerslie has been accused by folks in his riding of offer, offering a 10,000 
$1,000 bribe to uh, to essentially get uh, one of his his opponent's supporters to withdraw that support. It's a little and bit these are allegations, clearly, at this point. That's allegations, right. nothing proven. Un- unproven allegations, but we do have sworn statements from two people who say that, that Bardwaj approached them and uh, and persuaded them, either uh, or attempted to persuade them, to withdraw their support for Balraj Manhas, who is the, as many people know, the very popular president of the Edmonton Cabbies Association. So, um, you know, that story broke yesterday. It's on the front page today. Rachel Notley was calling on Prentice to have uh, Bardwaj step aside as a minister in his cabinet. He's, and he's the associate minister for uh, uh, for persons with disabilities. Disabil- developmental disabilities. Yeah. And uh, and she also called on him to have the, uh, the Solicitor General appoint a special prosecutor to oversee that investigation. But I do think that's going to haunt the Tories because, uh, because, you know, that's a very, very serious allegation. And uh, if there's anything that was going to make people pay attention to a nomination race, allegations of bribery is it. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the only thing. Yeah. And we typically don't cover nomination races at the legislature. Well, there's but, so many. Right. Well, and, and, and there are often discussions. I mean, you know, uh, other candidates who've been pushed out have been, you know, mad saying that Kelly Charlebois and the Progressive Conservative Association have been playing very hardball to push out candidates that they didn't want. I mean, that is par for the course in these things, but actual sworn it's statements, politics, yeah. actual yeah. sworn statements, and, and, and of course, they're a private club. I mean, they can make their own rules. They can they can sign the nomination papers of, of whomever they wish, but um, once you've got sworn statements of, you know, allegations of criminal wrongdoing, that changes things a bit. Well, we will watch this and see how it develops and, and update it's such a busy week. I think I'm going to make the executive decision to skip good stuff from the gallery this week. I'm sorry. Good stuff. Just we'll find better stuff for next week. It'll be extra. It'll be extra good well, next you could, week. You could just add it online and it would be like a secret surprise. Okay. Ooh. That's that's what we'll do. I'll have you guys send me your links for good stuff from the gallery. So that will be it for this week. My thanks to Karen, Paula, and Miriam for joining me in the newsroom studio and for videographer Ryan Jackson who's standing in here with us and capturing our conversation for posterity on video. You can connect via Facebook on the Edmonton Journal's Facebook page and we're all on Twitter. Just search our names. You'll find us. You can hear previous episodes of the podcast on edmontonjournal.com, usually in the opinion section, or find us through our SoundCloud feed, the Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. The show is also available on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. I think that's making a difference. We've had even more listeners this week. It was fantastic last week. And so subscribe there, and the press gallery will be waiting for you as soon as I can humanly get it posted on Friday or very, very early Saturday morning, as it was the case this week. My apologies. We'll convene again next week in the press gallery. Thank you.